Welcome to the Kitchen, Bathroom and Cabinet Design Podcast with your host Hendrik in association with CAD International and the Kitchen and Bathroom Designers Institute. This is the first and only design podcast on kitchen and bathroom design in Australia and we'll be working to bring you some amazing content to teach you the tips, tricks and tools of the design industry. We're going to be sitting down and hearing from industry experts who will share some really unique advice and perspectives on how to make a bigger impact with your design business and with your designs. Whether you're an interior designer, a cabinet maker, building designer, architect or student, we believe that you're really going to enjoy these episodes. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hello, this is your host Hendrik and I'm very excited to welcome you to our second episode. We hope you've enjoyed the ride so far and stay tuned because there's a lot more coming. Uh, so today's interview is with Matthew Ganter from Brisbane Kitchen Design, established in 2007. He tells us about his unique experience with sales. So what's sales got to do with design and why is it important? I really like this interview with him. Um, he was really easy to interview and he's a real stand-up guy. Um, <laughs> the only thing I wouldn't say went wrong with this interview, but his dog actually, his adorable dog tried to get my attention halfway through the interview. So if you notice my questions getting jumbled up, you'll know why. <laughs> Anyways, he's a great designer and a really likable person. So let's hear what he has to say. So we're here with Matthew. Um, he has his own kitchen and bathroom design business. Oh, I'm not correcting that. Okay. I don't really do bathrooms. Okay. So yeah. I'm correct. Yeah, you might want to just give the kitchens. Okay. Kitchens, yeah. I have done bathrooms, but yeah, choose not to. Okay. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about, uh, what got you started in kitchens and, cause you just told me you used to do, uh, news, um, what is it, like audio stuff? Well, as an assistant cameraman, yeah, so. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but since then, that's a long time ago. Yeah. I've had lots of different occupations, so. But, you know, look, um, around 15 years ago, I was looking for a career change, and uh, I had to dig deep and try and work out what was going to be a good thing for me to do. And it just happened to be that I saw an advertisement for a kitchen designer, and I thought about that for a little while, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's a job I can do, because I've done several renovations of my own houses and a couple of units and stuff before that. So, you know, I wasn't coming in completely green. Mm. Um, so I had a fair knowledge base behind me before I started in the industry, and then I went and worked for a company and um, basically took to it immediately. So, Okay. Hmm. Well, that's pretty interesting. So did you have like any sort of formal qualification or no. you just kind of went for what you were interested in? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's pretty interesting. My boss actually did the same thing. Um, he's a, like he just basically decided to design his own house. Because right. he also runs our company, he does CAD software and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty interesting to see that someone else actually did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so 
what was the reason for for choosing kitchen design? Like, did you feel like it was kind of a natural progression into that from what you did before? Or well, as I was saying, I mean, I I, I looked at basically what my you know what my experience and knowledge was, and mm. I thought, well, how do I best apply that? You know, from renovating houses or whatever it might be, and as soon as I saw that advertisement, I thought, well, that's going to be a really good kit for me. Yeah. And I thought, it's definitely something that I can do. Um, and my previous background mostly was in sales. Okay. So it shouldn't be understated that, mm. you know, if you're a kitchen designer um, or a designer of anything, basically, um, half your job is sales. Right. Otherwise, you're not going to survive. So you need to have you know, some sales techniques and ability. Mm. Otherwise, you will flounder. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because a lot of, because I'm an architecture student myself, and it seems like a lot of what they teach you at university is that the design sells itself, which really, in your experience, you'd say the design doesn't sell itself. And If they're not, if, if, if you're a student and they're not teaching you, some aspects of sales, mm. then they're letting you down and Right. Um, because at the end of the day, the sales part of it is bringing people into your confidence. Yeah. You know, expressing those, expressing your concepts and, and projecting them to you and get them on board mm. so that they feel comfortable with using your services. Right. And you must have a sales ability to do that. And so, in my view, if they're not teaching that, they're failing you. And because, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's one thing to be a great architect or a great designer or whatever else, but if you do not have the capacity to actually be able to bring people on board with you and to go, okay, I trust this person here Mm. before me that's presenting these concepts and we want to use this guy, the designer's never going to just sell it. Yeah. People have to be confident in, in you to, to, to go through the project. Exactly. Because when you say, because um, people need to have a lot of trust in in hiring you, because um, projects can be quite expensive, like say maybe between 30 to 50K for a kitchen. In that order, yeah. 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 Um, and what would you yeah, say? Yeah, it's a decent investment. Yeah. It's a, it's a reasonable investment. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty serious decision to make. Mm. And there's always the issue that, like, the amount that you quoted is completely different from the amount that they're actually paying for at the end. So, well, hopefully not. Yeah. I mean, some aspects of a, a kitchen renovation are basically out of your hands to start with. Mm. So, the issue with that is, that there, oh look, there's possibly only one trade which is troublesome um, because what I do is I do an estimate for the client prior to we start the job. Yeah. I give them the best estimate I possibly can of what the likely cost is going to be. And um, and particularly with electrical, you don't know what you're walking into. Right. So, for example, we're doing a project at the moment at, at Astro. The person who who previously owned the house Possibly was a home electrician, and basically my electricians walked in there 
and everything is substandard. The work that's been done there is works substandard, so everything's had to be upgraded. Mm. So that sort of information you can't possibly know before you start a project. Right. And, you know, uh, so, yes, sometimes costs can get out of hand, but really it's probably restricted to one or two trades. Um, and, um, but, you know, like, again, that comes down to knowledge and experience. When you look at jobs and so forth and you can know what the scope of the work is and have a pretty good idea of what it's going to cost beforehand. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, so what would you say is the sort of the most important considerations before you start on a project? From, from a client's perspective? Um, from, from your perspective, some important considerations before you decide to move the project ahead. Right, okay. Well, communication with the client is incredibly important. Yep. And so the client is fully briefed as to what the scope of the work is. Mm-hmm. The likely costs. Um, and obviously you need a good solid plan. Yep. Schedule to work towards. Uh, that takes, you know, communication with all your different tradespeople to make sure availability and all that sort of thing. Um, one of the things that has been very important to me over the years is to, is to stick to the schedule. Um, because a kitchen renovation is quite tumultuous for most people in their lives because mm-hmm. they're going to be without a kitchen at a bare minimum for two weeks. And, um, you know, that's really difficult for a lot of people. It's not so much the cooking. There can be more the cleaning out. You know, not having a dishwasher, not having a sink. Yeah. So, you know, my job as a kitchen designer is to ensure that job goes as quickly as possible and as effectively as possible. So one trade follows each. So before you start the project and you build these expectations in your own client, you want to make sure that you can deliver on it. So that is, do I know when the cabinet maker has availability for an install? And, and, and then once you've done that, then you can book everything else in around that. Okay. Hmm. So then from the other side, so from your client's perspective, what would you say are some, maybe some misconceptions they have about the process or something you have to inform them about first? Um, or maybe some common misconceptions or maybe difficulties you experience and how you move past that. Well, difficulties, the, the major difficulty that comes up is, you know, there's all sorts of different jobs. Some, yeah. some that flow really easily from go to O, um, from the design perspective to the finished product. It can be really quite, you know, uh, seamless. Then there are other jobs where in the design process you might get people changing their mind and changing the changing the concept of the design over and over and over again. Right. And the big thing to be really careful of as someone who's a designer is to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. So when you actually are doing the project, the people's recollection of events from three months beforehand or whatever else um, 
that you know exactly what the flow of mm. the discussions were. Because if you've got a concept which which someone remembers basically some details of that particular concept, but then that's not the final concept that you've dealt with, that, that, you're, you know, that you actually end up doing, then there are some, some concerns that you need to be keep abreast of everything mm. and detail everything. So the best way you can do that is is you know have a contract which actually has lots and lots of detail in it and every particular every particular item is covered. Right. Mm. So do you sort of have like a when you chat with your clients, like is there any part that's written down or documented um, or kept on file in case they maybe say something that they don't remember or maybe something they confuse and you can kind of well, I mean, you have a contract. Yeah. And so that, for, for me, the process is there'll be a final set of drawings. <laughs> Georgie, come here. <laughs> oh, like the pension. <laughs> um, so yeah, you'll have a, you'll, you'll have a final set of drawings, which is highly detailed, obviously. You know, so you want to ensure that, um, at the, at the point of, uh, the client going ahead, that they actually are across every particular detail and they are full, in full agreement yep. with what are on the drawings and what's also in the contract. So they okay. know exactly what they're getting. So in the event that something happens in six weeks' time, they go, well, hang on, that, that wasn't what what was supposed to happen. And I go, well, yes, it was. There's, there's the drawing. You signed off on that and we discussed that. Because that's what it's, 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 a, it's a natural human thing for people to have memory loss. Yeah, you know, and happens all the time. Yeah, and people uh, people won't necessarily do it uh, purposely. Yeah, uh, they'll just have a recollection of something, and they actually get muddled with their thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's you know our job as designers um, to make sure that you know we're across every detail and can remember every detail on the flow of how how you know we got from A to B. Yeah. So you would say there's definitely the important element of being successful is to be decisive. Yeah, and and have it and have effective communication. Right. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah, because in my experience as well, like I've really made an effort to communicate clearly with people because I've noticed, um, you know, sometimes when people communicate, they like they don't get ideas across because they're afraid to actually express what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in your process of like making changes to the design according to what your clients want, uh, to what extent do you keep changing and keep changing and at what point do you say, okay, stop, we need to be decisive about what you want to move forward, if you know what I mean. Uh, that's one of the bitter pills you have to swallow as right. a kitchen designer is you've never got the job until you've got the job at the end. Mm. So sometimes you have to invest a lot of time and go through lots of different drawings before you actually get some financial benefit. Right. So, and sometimes you go on this merry go around with people and you never know whether you actually get Gonna earn, 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 earn something out of it. So mm. that is unfortunately part of the job. Right. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I want to get a bit. I mean, it looks occasionally you have. I mean, the trick is that you need you need to find a balance somewhere between what clients' needs and wants are mm. and what's practical. Okay, and you've got to try and find the mid, mid, mid you know, the midpoint of that. And make sure that you know. Sometimes you have to take people with you, and and you, you don't want to railroad people on their ideas and so forth. But somehow you need to change the uh, the dynamic of them saying, "Well, this is what I want, and that's it." Mm. You know, to well, have you considered this? You know, this is an option, and the reason why this is a better option. And so it's also about the language that you use as well. Yeah. So you need to be, you know, very careful about what you say. And I mean, in some ways, you've got to be, you know, um, quite diplomatic about how you how you approach things. Right. Because you want to open them up to like different possibilities of what they can achieve and what they can't, and you want to put it in a way that that doesn't throw them off or make them defensive. Yeah, exactly. So you don't want to be you don't, you don't want to be making statements. Um, and dragging them to a place where they don't want to go, <laughs> somehow you need to be able to manage that really properly you know, mm-hmm. to make sure that these people don't go, oh, he's just coming and railroaded all our ideas. Um, and, yeah, so if you do that, then you've lost them. Yeah. yeah. So it's very, really, in a way, it's, so your, your business is about being kind for this. Yeah, absolutely. Almost. So I want to talk a bit about your your idea process and like your design process. Mm-hmm. So when you have a blank piece of paper, how do you start getting ideas for your design? Uh, well, the design process starts with me having a meeting in the house mm-hmm. and sitting in the kitchen. So. Almost immediately when I, I walk in, I can establish a concept of footprint. Yeah. In my mind, this is the only footprint. Okay. I mean, occasionally there might be another way to do it, but essentially I, I, within a few minutes, only because of the, you know, of doing this job for 15 years, mm. you know, you know what will work and might work. Right. You might can work. sort of scout out what's already going to Yeah, exactly. I don't have to think too hard about it. I can walk yeah. in and go, right out, well, there's, there's a wall there, and there's a window there, and basically the room will dictate what the footprint of the kitchen will be. In a lot of cases, I'm walking into a house which is 20 or 30 years old or 40 years old, and um, in the past, not a lot of importance was attached to a kitchen, right? As far as the overall footprint of the house. So many times I walk in and you can't swing a cat in the kitchen, yet they have a massive lounge area which is overly excessive for, mm. for what you're doing, you know, for what, what a person would need. Yet there's a small kitchen which basically, you know, people spend three, three hours a day in and it's unworkable. It's unworkable because things have moved on. Instead of people having their appliances, which might be a jug and a toaster, is now they might have 20 different appliances. Mm. So they need to have places to store those items. And, you know, the standard sort of footprint, which was associated with, with kitchens of 20 or 30 years ago, is most, in most occasions, not enough. It's not sufficient to meet today's current standards. 
The other part of that is most people want to have an open plan yeah. kitchen. So that, and the reasons for all of that is the fact that, you know, if it's the mother or the father or whatever else is cooking, um, and children, you know, and are in a joining room or whatever else, they want to have that connection with the family. They don't want a wall in front of them mm-hmm. between them and the kitchen and what's happening in the lounge room. Right. Um, so they need that sort of flow. So in a lot of cases, building work needs to be done. Structural work needs to be done to the house to make it suitable and, uh, and uh, for today's standards, to meet today's standards. Right. And that might include, you know, a butler's pantry in the kitchen concept if there, if there is enough room. Sometimes you need to create room. Mm. I did a job last year where there was an L-shaped deck around a, a, a uh, colonial at Clayfield, which the people immediately told me they weren't using the back section of the of the um, L-shaped veranda, and um, that it was basically useless. And um, and is the perfect example. I had a very very small kitchen for a very large house. And um, so the concept included closing off the L-shaped part of the deck and turning it into a butler's pantry. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So there's like an essence of trying to create a more open space for people to gather and for you to be able to do multiple different things and move between spaces and have access to everything. Hmm. Um, so how does that how does that play out with say like different types of families, maybe a single family or like they have lots of kids. Is there like a different type of kitchen that appeals to the different uh, types of clients you work with? I don't think so because it, it applies whether they have children or not. So for the single people, they're probably they're looking at it from more from a uh, uh, a social point of view, having mm-hmm. friends over, sitting around an island bench. All of those things are quite important. The island bench for the, for the family with children is it's because if mum is preparing dinner and the kids are doing schoolwork, they want them to sit at the island bench, right? So they can be closely supervised. Um, so it doesn't really make much difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other part of that is it's also about when when there are more than the primary cook in the kitchen. So when for those are social occasions where they may have their mother in law over or whatever and she's assisting cooking and you know, preparing food for say whether it's a small party or a large party, you need to have a few different work zones in the kitchen so that people are not on top of each other. Okay. So what, what other sort of considerations are important to make the kitchen more efficient? Uh, well, look, in, my, in most cases, in most, I'm looking to create an L-shaped kitchen of an island. Okay. Because of the flow of that. Yep. It works so much better. Um, if you go back to a, um, you know, G-shaped kitchen, um, you know, there's one entry, one exit, mm. which is a problem when you've got, you know, several people in the kitchen. And it might be mum and dad and a couple of kids or whatever else doing breakfast, you know, 
um, people are trying to get in and out and try to get the fridge or whatever else, and um, you're stepping all over each other. So the L-shaped kitchen deals with that, you know, because the, the, the fridge is going to be a fair distance away from where someone's cooking. Um, you may have an island, so you can someone else can be at the island, and you're not on top of each other. And of course, you've got the flow of yep. the island where people can come in and out, and uh, there's more than one exit and entry point. Mm. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and then, in terms of like materiality and construction. Um, and cost, what sort of, I don't know, what sort of color themes or overall appearance would you normally go for that kind of, that people kind of like more, like maybe something more trendy? Well, the, the big trend is, <coughs> is the Hamptons look, which yeah. is basically the shape of kitchen, so, of which I do a lot of. And, um, so as far as colour and all that sort of stuff and, and finishes, uh, materials and so forth, I, again, it's probably going to be determined by the decor, which is in the house already, mm-hmm. unless they're planning on a full renovation and repainting and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So then you'd have a blank canvas. Um, but, you know, floor coverings are going to play a part in it, whatever yeah. the existing floor is, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a tile or whatever else. You know, it could be a terracotta tile. I come across a lot of that because in you know, houses which are 30 years old, they all have terracotta tiles on the floor. Uh, that was just the, the builder's choice, you know, and everyone had terracotta tiles, which is a particularly difficult colour to actually come up with a concept that actually works really well with it from a colour perspective. Um, so that could be the major driving point of it. If it's a timber floor, it's much easier. Okay. But if it's like a terracotta floor, well, that's it's going to be difficult. So you need to do a bench top, which, which, uh, from a color perspective actually, you know, goes well with that, that floor mm. and then work your way back from there. So it's pretty elementary. Yeah. <clears throat> color and all that sort of stuff. And as far as the customer is concerned, sometimes they'll have really bad ideas. <laughs> and again, it's about being a diplomat, you know, right. and, um, you need to hold their hands and, and bring them where you want them to go mm. so they don't end up in a disaster. So in my case, I will always ensure that people make those decisions properly. And, and again, that's a skill that you, you're probably going to develop over time yeah. as to how to deal with those sorts of things to make sure you end up with a, with a, um, <clears throat> a good result at the end. So um, in terms of like what you were talking a bit about the sales side, um, in terms of like networking and sales and building relationships with different people, what sort of top tips would you give someone who was like you maybe say five or ten years ago? And starting in the business with me. Yeah, starting your business and creating more sales. Um Well, to start with, I mean, if you're, if you're, a, if you're on the starting blocks with studying design business or whatever it might be, mm. um, you need to have an established network. Now, it doesn't have to be, you know, extensive or whatever, but at least you need some people. So for me, it was, I have 
few friends that were builders and so forth, and so they fed me some jobs, which assisted me to sort of build my business in the early stages. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing that I did was I established a website straight away, and and because I'd come from an advertising background, I realised that the future for advertising was in search engine optimization, and so I spent some money on that, and um, and so subsequently to that, I in the early stages when there wasn't a lot of competition around, um, I used to I used to um, Rate highly on, on Google. Hmm. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, essential. Yeah. It's essential in, in what we do because, you know, uh, business has changed, you know, from what it was 15, yeah. 20 years ago. Um, and so you need that, that presence. Hmm. Yeah. From back in the day, like it used to be easy to, Get in touch with people, and then from that maybe like exchange numbers and start a job. Well, you know, networking was where it was at, obviously, yeah. and then obviously you know your your more um, conventional forms of advertising, mm-hmm. i.e., radio, television, newspapers, or whatever else. Yeah, but a it's too expensive, and yeah. b it's it's not it's not as effective. So um, most people today, if they're looking for design services, they're going to be looking online. And they're going to be uh, typing it into Google and... Exactly, they're going to be doing it on Google or whether it's um, any, any other platform. YouTube, yeah, looking at something. Hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, the same thing. Like, I, I, was, I work in advertising. Um, yeah, and the thing is, I mean, so I'm still trying to figure this out. Like, what to what extent do you just pump money into Google AdWords and online advertising and... To what extent is it important to to network and still build those face to face relationships? Well, you need to do it all. You need to do it all. But I mean, you have no choice. You need to have an online presence. Mm. It's pointless doing having a website without doing search engine optimization because you will just be you'll be hidden in a you know, you know, twenty thousand legs under the sea because you yeah. won't be seen. You know, so that's actually pointless. But you know, building a presence on Google doesn't is not an overnight thing either. Yeah. I mean, even the best uh, search engine optimization um, uh, people are going to tell you that it's going to take a minimum of six months to to organically get you that presence, you know, and lift you in the rankings. So it's it's a fairly you know. It's not something that's going to happen immediately, so you need yeah. to be prepared for that. Because you actually have and to do your research. <clears throat> like, if you haven't tried it before, you've got to do your research. Yeah. You've got to figure out what sort of keywords you need to use, hmm. maybe what sort of keywords your competitors are using, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and other than that, it, it does come down to networking, which is, it always has. Hmm. It's, you know, trying to reach as many people as you possibly can. Um, one thing that I learned about a long time ago was about centers of influence. You need to create centers of impulse. So, i.e., they might be, if you're starting an architectural business, you know, you're new and everything else, it's like having a mentor that actually has an established business and occasionally will feed you little jobs. Right. You started. And you might need one of those. Uh, you might need several builders. They'll go, 
this guy's really good, you know, give him a call because he'll be onto it straight away. You know, and um, this is new and starting and all that sort of stuff and energetic. Um, so, you know, yeah. So there is, in essence, there is sort of like a you help me, I'll help you sort of thing, you know, if you're starting off. you got to build those relationships and help other people and they'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. And and what other tips would you have like for starting your own business? Is it is it difficult to first get started, um, or is it is it a simple process? Uh no. Look, <laughs> it's very difficult. Yeah. There's a reason why businesses fail in the first you know, two or five years. Yeah. I don't know what those statistics are. I think it's anymore, but it's about fifty or eighty percent. Yeah, so it's, that's what we're facing. It's not easy. Yeah. We need to have enough money to have to do it. Mm. Like, see how that first 12, 18 months. Um, so, I mean, I want to know more in terms of like the mindset of, of starting your own business. What sort of what sort of things do you need to understand about yourself to get yourself moving forward? Or what, what sort of mindset do you need to kind of adopt? Well, you need to motivate yourself. Yeah. Because you know, no one else is going to do that for you. Um, it is a completely different mindset from being an employee, for example. Um, so you need to be willing to motivate yourself on a day-to-day basis. To do everything that you need to do to be successful. That's essentially it. You know? And you need to obviously have a passion for what yeah. you're doing, and you need to have that ability, you know, to bring people on board with you, whether it be builders, as I said before, centers of influence, you know, whether they're builders or architects or whatever else. Whether these people all have some confidence in you and, and will go, okay, we'll farm some work your way and give you these opportunities. And, um, and obviously once you get those opportunities, you want to make sure that you, you know, you don't let those people down that have actually referred you. Yeah. Got to take those opportunities. And- yeah, exactly. And make it a positive, positive journey. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, on the other side, failures as a as a kitchen designer, what sort of what have been your like most disastrous failures that you've had to overcome to keep your business moving forward? Um, disaster is a bit of a strong word, <laughs> uh, but, but there's always challenges. Yeah, and challenges that come from everywhere. The challenges are clients, difficult clients. Uh, managing that. Uh, the realization is sometimes there are some people that you, no matter how hard you try, are not ever going to be satisfied. Yeah. It's just a fact of life. Nothing you can do about it. Um, so you need to manage that as best as you can. And that can be very frustrating. Mm. Um, the other major challenge is you know, my partners in my business are the electrician, the plumber, the plasterer, you know, the tiler, the cabinet maker, the stonemason. 
is working with those people to make sure that you get the best out of them. And for me, it's about reliability. For those people, I need reliability from them. So they need to be there when I need them there. Yep. As what's already previously been organised. But you've also got to take into consideration these guys also work for other people Mm. and that sometimes things happen, which happens in building out is that things happen on a regular basis which sort of come out of left field that that you can't plan for. And that might delay someone being on a job or whatever else. So you need to understand that and um, and be respectful of that. So reliability is, is a major issue. Mm. The other the other part of that is um, you want people that have a similar mindset as far as customer service is concerned and how they interact with the client. Yeah. And so that we're all on the same page. You know, so it's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, um, because in my experience in being a design student, it does seem like not everyone, but a lot of people kind of lose the focus of being client focused and they start getting this egotistical obsession with their designs. So have you ever seen that sort of thing in the industry? Um, um, has it ever occurred to you? To the point where you, where you're stuck on on a particular concept and you can't move forward because because you're not willing to yeah where you're not you're not willing to sort of um, make compromises so that you can move forward with the client to to achieve a, a desired outcome. Um, no, I, I don't think. I don't think that would be relevant mm. towards kitchen design as, as as much as it would be for architecture. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that might be a much bigger issue for the architecture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite right. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, like we're out there, yeah. we're going to sell a job. So right. We're going to do whatever it is to sell the job. So um, it's coming from a different perspective than mm. what you guys work in. You know, if you're doing the design work, you've already got. Already, the clients are already contracted to you. You've already, they've already engaged you. Yeah. So you're going to get paid regardless once you're at that stage. Um, I don't. I can't get to that stage until I've actually got a concept that they're all on, they're all on board with. Mm. So. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, just going to quickly check through this because there's quite a few questions that I. Want to ask you as well. Um, okay, so we've talked a bit about the technicalities, some of the design processes that you have. Um, okay, we've also talked about. Yeah, so one thing I forgot to ask is uh, how selective are you about the people you work with? So have you ever had a client and they were difficult to work with so you decided not to go ahead or 
I get those wins for your lies. Yeah. Because as I was saying before, there are mm. all types of people. Yeah. And there are some people, and look, you know, it, it also comes down to personalities as well. You know, like, just because you're a great architect or a great kitchen designer or whatever else doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get every job because there needs to be that some sort of repertoire between the, the, the two parties yeah. to make sure that it works. And you might be of a certain personality type, which they won't like. doesn't matter how good your ideas are or whatever else. They personally might look at you and go, I just don't like the way you, I, I, I just don't like him. Yeah. And I can't work with him. I can't use him to use that kitchen. And that's just a fact of life. Nothing you can do about it. Right. All you can do is just turn up and do your best with every client that you, that you do. And that's what I do is I go out and I see every people. I give it my best shot every time I go and see, see people. I give them the best concept that I possibly can. I give them the best advice that I possibly can. And does that work every time? No, of course it doesn't. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Yeah. Right if it did, uh, but it doesn't. Right. Um, so you have that essence of adaptability. So even if you're working with a really crappy client, they don't, you know, they're very, how do you say, defensive about what they want to do. Um, you just kind of work with it. Well, you have to. Yeah. I, that's if it's possible to. Because some people you can't. I mean, you know, there was a lady that I saw many years ago yeah. who just could not make a decision on anything. Okay. And over four, four meetings or whatever, she could not. We couldn't progress anything because she couldn't make a decision on whether it was a design element of the kitchen or whether it was a color or it was, you know, a mm-hmm. finish, whether it was what handles she was. Could not make one decision. And I had to walk out and walk away from it because yeah. it was, it was like a complete and utter head fuck. And you are going to come across people like that, you know? Jesus. Yeah, I've come across people like that as well. I think we all have. Um, okay, let me look at what I want to ask you as well. Um, okay, so when you when you start your own business, um, is there is there a specific way you manage your time, um, and do you have a work life balance when you run your own business, or not so much? I think most people start their own business because they want to have that work life balance. Yeah, that is the pre the key criteria for most people, mm. other than the fact that they want to obviously earn a living and hopefully it's going to be a successful living for them, but they also want to achieve some sort of work-life balance. So um, they want to have that flexibility to go, well, today I don't feel like actually doing anything, so uh, I'm going to take my dog to the beach. You know? or, but unfortunately, I mean, everyone has that you know, that, that vision of what they'd like their life to be like with yeah. this new business, but quite often that doesn't happen because there's always challenges coming from everywhere, mm. which will tie you up. And, um, but, I mean, I think it's important that you actually do have your own me time, that you actually do determine, okay, you know, like, this is why I started my own business, is I can have this flexibility. So occasionally you have to go, you have to reward yourself with doing something that you 
what we were talking about. And is there any, I mean, misconception you had before you started your business and then after you started it, you went, okay, this is actually how it works. I was completely wrong about that. No, I don't think so. I don't think so because I'd, I'd had other businesses. So I wasn't totally going when it came to business. So. Okay, so you had a pretty good idea of what you were getting into. Yeah. Okay. Um, would you have any other tips for, for someone starting their design business, things that they should know uh, to help them move forward? Well, the key thing is probably communication with the client. Yeah. You know, and as I was saying earlier, you need to document everything. You know, you need to have a really good handle on what's happening in this particular project. You know, what the scope of works is. Um, you need to be able to effectively communicate to the client so that they know what's going on every step of the way. So they feel engaged in the process. Um, you don't want the client ringing you and going, well, who's turning up today? You need to be on the front foot. You need to report the previous day and say, well, okay, this is what's happening tomorrow. This particular trade person is going to be on site at this time. So that they know what's going on. Because mm. the big trap is to fall into is to assume that, you know, your client doesn't have a life outside of this renovation. Um, but, you know, mothers have to take children to school. They've got things after school that they need to take them to. So they can't always be there waiting. So you need to have that really good communication with clients. Um, and again, you know, make sure you, your document, documentation's up to, up to scratch. Yep. Whatever they documented. Um, what's, what's been the best project you've worked on so far? Maybe one of your favorite projects. Um, there's been a few of those, but recently I did one, uh, well last year, the latter part of last year, I did, did a, um, a job with um, an architect who's sort of semi-retired architect, um, and it was a collaboration between him and I. He had the, cons- the cons- concept, and because of my knowledge and experience and so forth, you know, we were able to work together and and and, and get the best outcome. Mm. Um, and do you do you do a lot of these collaborative things with other designers, or no. mostly mostly just by yourself? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, the collaboration is always with the client. Yeah. You know, because the client is the one that lives in the space. Um, so that's your key collaboration. It just happened to be that the client was an architect. You know. In this case, but you know, there's always going to be a collaboration. It's always going to be between you and the client. So quite often, you'll go to someone's house for the first time, and I go, "We've been sitting here looking at this kitchen for three or four months. We can't work out what to do." Right. For me, it's because of you know the body of work that I've done over the years. Mm. I can come up with concept almost immediately. You can kind of pinpoint it quite quite easily. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's always going to be a collaboration because the people are going to say, well, we want this element of the kitchen. We want this in the kitchen. And, um, so it's always going to be a collaboration. Mm. Um, so in terms of, more in terms of like project management and kind of keeping a hamper on cost in terms of this collaboration process, um, I mean, 
a client can come to you with an idea and they want it done for a certain price, but the idea is something they probably saw on a reality TV show. So how do you kind of manage that and get them down to see it realistically? Like, do you have kind of maybe documents they look at or? No, but it's about pre-designs or anything like that. Well, look, I, I guess, you know, if anyone is actually consumed by those sort of programs, mm. they're going to see projects completed in, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, which, you know, just doesn't happen in the real world. It's not going to happen. So I, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are fooled by that. I think they realize that, you know, it's, it's television. It's not, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not possible to do that in the real world. Right. Um, secondly, um, as far as price is concerned, I think for the same reason, particularly if it's a reality TV program, mm. um, you know, it, it is possible for clients to actually get um, a wrong impression of what what a you know a budget is going to be mm. for for a project. Um, I, I don't watch those shows, so I don't. I couldn't tell you to be yeah. honest. Um, so I don't know. If, you know, whether they express how much things cost and so forth on jobs, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to come up very much, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it, like the only thing which is, and, and I will say this possibly about those sorts of programs, is that it engages people in the renovation process. It gets them thinking, it gets them wanting that, you know. Uh, so it's good for the industry to have those sort of programs because, you know, it in, it gets people enthusiastic about their homes right. and their spaces and wanting to improve them. Um, I think I'm running out of questions. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to you want to share with our listeners uh, from your point of view? Is there anything you want to share that you feel like I've maybe looked over or missed? Um, have a look at my notes. Yeah, edit this part out. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's not good to have uh, what they call black hair. I think it's what they call it. Well, this is real life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, one of the notes that I made here was the most important thing that you can do as far as your the ongoing success of your business, and this needs to be a total focus of yours, is to create raving fans. Right. So when you've completed a job, you want those people to be able to go, okay, you know, go back to their work or whatever else and someone says, oh, how did the kitchen renovation go? You want them to have a positive experience. Mm-hmm. So that has to be, you have to be obsessed with trying to make sure that that project goes smoothly, goes to schedule, and the client at the end of it are a writing fan. But then that way, it's the easiest 
business you're ever going to find is through referrals. And someone who's referred you to another customer, more than likely you're going to get that business. So that, 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 that it needs to become an obsession of yours if you're going to be successful. Mm. Um, and then, you know, with your website, yeah. you need to be constantly updating it. You, know, you need to document any project that you've got, live photos, you can get testimonials from clients. Again, that is imperative mm. for you to build a successful business. You need to be able to show prospective clients projects that you've worked on before because it'll always come up and there'll, there'll be some, some particular facet of a job that you did which is a reference point to be able to use and say, well, look, we need to do this with your particular project. I did this project. 12 months ago, 18 months ago, I can show you exactly what it looked like. So they can actually conceptualize it. Yeah. Um, and you've got that, photo, you know, that, that documented photographic proof. Mm-hmm. There it is. It's on my laptop. Here's the photo that I did there of the job that I did. And here's a happy client, a raving fan, as you said. Absolutely, yeah. So I want to know what's, what's next for you? Um, what's something you want to achieve? Maybe the next twelve months, or maybe what's what's one project that you're working on now? Uh, well, it's just a, it's a continuation. It's just you know you're always trying. To, even though I've been in my business for twelve years, there are some times when I've taken my eye off the ball as far as trying to you know build my business. Mm-hmm. But it, it is. It's just a constant that you're trying to build your business. Um, for all those things that I said before, it's uh, make happy customers. It's the most important thing that you can do. Mm. And you know, build your present online presence. Just keep going. Well, I think we'll end it there. Um, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, and thanks again for giving us such great answers and insights into what you do.